Well, good morning. It is a nice, frosty morning out there this morning. I uh, enjoyed, again, having our men's breakfast. Uh, I know we threw a little bit of a curveball by putting it on the fifth Sunday this month. So uh, moving forward, uh, men, uh, we want to invite every man to come. We always have tons of food. Uh, we do it every fourth Sunday morning at 745. Uh so we all get to sleep in, and uh, we just come already dressed, and we hang out and get to talk and, uh, for some reason, go outside and hang out in the cold. So um, we want to invite everybody to that. Again, I'm excited for the new year, uh, for all the new things that hopefully we'll get to uh, do. One of those things is we're going to have a theme this year, uh, and the theme is Becoming One, having this congregation really strive to uh, become a, a, a unified uh, body. I know we're all strung out in different little towns all around here, and so uh, we have a theme of just becoming one, and we know uh, that God dwells in a church that is one. And I, I think we're there, uh, but I just want to see us always try to strive to be that one group of people. We're not uh, the West Blockton Tigers or the Brookwood Panthers. We are uh, the Lord's church, and so um, I just want to always see us uh, strive to be one and so we're going to have events throughout this year um, that are focused on that theme and each month um, I will lead the month off with a sermon on Sunday morning uh, catered to that theme um, and so a lot of that uh, a lot of those lessons will come out of the book of Philippians uh, next week next week will be out of Ephesians uh, and so, uh, really hope we can strive and, and be that one group. The first event we're going to have uh, that I want to make sure everybody knows about, um, I forgot to put our slide on our, our slideshow this morning, but it's uh, a sweet Sunday social. Um, and it's going to be Sunday evening, January 14th, following our evening services. Now, what is a sweet Sunday social? Well, we're just going to have hot chocolate and cookies, and everybody's going to have the opportunity of just hanging out, uh, talking, uh, getting to be around each other. And we're also going to have uh, our card ministry uh, that James and Jennifer so uh, selflessly do. We're going to have some extra cards to be able to write to people, uh, people that haven't been in a while, and just visitors and invite them and let them know uh, we're thinking about them. And so I hope you'll stay uh, January 14th for that. It's going to be a I think a fun time just to be around each other, drinking uh, chocolate sugar and uh, eating sugar. So uh, make sure your kids stay for that as well, so that way they'll be up a little bit later that night. Um, but yeah, I, there's going to be more events like that. Nothing big, uh, just opportunities uh, that we're trying to create for us to just be around each other uh, and be uh, in each other's presence more. This morning, we're going to talk a lot about firsts, as you can imagine, since tomorrow is the first of year 2024. I bet all of us are just waiting to see what in the world could happen in 2024 uh, that hasn't happened in the past couple of years. And so when you start thinking about firsts, uh, you start thinking about all the firsts you have in your life. You, the first kiss, your first car, uh, your first truck maybe, your first motorcycle. Uh, we talked a lot about motorcycles this morning. Uh, whatever it may be, maybe it was your first job. Uh, I remember my first job was working at Johnny Rockets in Hoover, if you've ever been there. Yes, I got to wear the cool hat and the apron, and I knew how to hit the Heinz 57 bottle or the, the Heinz ketchup bottle perfectly so it would come out of that glass bottle. That was my first job. I waited tables. Again, I didn't like people at that time, so that was a weird job for me. Um, and then I worked at Piggly Wiggly. 
And so uh, two perfect jobs for me, I guess, uh, to be able to work those. But you probably remember some of those firsts in your life. Uh, but we also have to remember that first time we failed at something. Uh, we've all failed at something. Um, and, and maybe it was sports. Maybe it was a project you had in school. Maybe it was a class you had in school. Certainly none of us failed classes. But maybe there was that time you first failed at something. Well, we're going to talk this morning a lot about those different things. But more importantly, we're going to talk about the fall of man. Really, the ultimate first fail that there ever was. And how this fall uh, create, and there's so many different lessons we can learn, and we're going to talk about those. And how this first fail has so many teaching moments in it for us so that we can better learn and make sure that we uh, are better each and every day because of this. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to notice four first impressions from the first fail. Uh, I try to use a lot of first uh, words in this lesson. So we're going to be looking at some first impressions from man, from woman, from uh, the serpent, from just the whole lesson in general. And so we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3 this morning as we go throughout this lesson. And, and ultimately, we're just going to notice these lessons, these impressions that we find from these different characters in this story. And so let's go ahead and start out. Number one, the first impression that we see is that man needed a helper. We talked about this in men's breakfast this morning. And I made sure everybody kind of stopped because they were going to start getting into my lesson a little bit. And so we have in Genesis chapter 2, all right, let me just kind of catch up. Genesis chapter 1 is all about the seven days of creation, right? Or the six days of creation and the one day of rest. And so uh, we have everything being created, the earth created, the heavens created, uh, the birds, the animals, the trees, the plants, everything had been created. And what happens in Genesis 2 is we have this big picture painted in Genesis 1. Now we're going to zoom in on what creation of man looked like, right? And, and creation of the garden. What all did that look like? And so we have man being created. And notice what uh, God says here, right? Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man, to the man, to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave all names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found, not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept... He took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this, is, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh." So what you notice about this, and if you were to go through Genesis chapter 1, what I find fascinating about this is if you were to go through Genesis chapter 1 and you look at all the days of creation and God created all these different things, after each thing he created, he said it was good, 
right? And then you get into Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Again, this zoomed out view of him creating man and woman. He said it was very good, right? But now in Genesis 2, when you have this zoomed in view, notice when he had just created man, what did he say about it? It wasn't good, right? That Hebrew word is tobe. It's just the idea of good, right? And he said, it is not good. So what made God's creation of mankind good? By having man and woman, right? And so what he noticed was that man needed a helper. Man needed someone to be with him, someone to be a helpmeet or a helpmate for him. The idea behind that word um, for helper is the idea of... um, his spouse it's used in accordance with God in Psalm chapter 33 or Psalm 33 verse 20 our soul waits for the Lord he is our help and that's most often time what this word is used for it's talking about how God is our helper he's there for us right and men are we honest with ourselves when we notice that our women our wives are those people who are there for us we need them right Uh, We always need to have them in our lives because God created them to be our helper, not to be our subordinate, not to be lower than us, but to be someone who we're able to do this life with. They were meant to go together like, um, if you've never done this, you're welcome. But instead of having peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, try peanut butter and apple butter sandwiches. That is how well men and women go together, right? It's amazing how uh, me and Heather, we, we pretty much equal out each other's uh, differences. And so we're able to help each other in that sense. And that's why God created women, because men needed helpers. Men needed someone, someone there to be there for them. And also, uh, young people, as you're growing up and you're looking for a spouse, Find that person who you know is going to be your helper. The most important thing they can help you with is go to heaven. And that's what I always try to encourage young people as they're looking for that spouse, as they're trying to find that right one, make sure at the top of that list is someone who's going to help me get to heaven. Because that's what our wives, men, help us do. And I hope that is what y'all are striving to do. Sometimes as men, we kind of think to ourselves, we can do it all right? But we can handle any situation. But sometimes we also need to be honest with ourselves and say, if I didn't have my wife with me, there'd be a lot of things I wouldn't be able to get through because they help us in so much. And that's why God created woman was to be a helper fit for man. A next, the next first impression we find is that woman needed a leader. If you notice what happens in Genesis chapter 3, we always uh, blame the women, all right, and just side joking and stuff. It was all Eve's fault, right? But we're actually going to find out maybe it wasn't all Eve's fault. And notice in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then both their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made them into loincloths. Now, what's interesting about this is God had given Adam this direction early on in chapter 2 about all of these trees you can eat from, right? You'll also notice in Genesis 2, 9 area, he made all the trees good for food and good, and good to look at, right? They were a delight to their eyes. All the trees were like that. There was just one tree, one tree they were not to eat from, and it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Every other tree, you can eat whatever you want, but that one. And so he said that to Adam, and what you are implied is that Adam was to teach that to Eve, right? And so we wonder, and she already knew, it looks like Adam was teaching her, right? She knew, hey, we're not allowed to eat from this one, but the serpent played on her. And notice that this tree, it had those same two qualities as all the other trees, It was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes. But this tree also had another quality that really stuck out to Eve. And it was the idea that it was uh, desired to make one wise, right? Now, the problem was you weren't allowed to eat from that. And what you also notice at the very end of this passage is that she took and ate. Bad job, Eve. But where was Adam? Right there, right? right there, and she took the fruit and gave it to him, and what did he do? Did he say, no, 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 I'm not supposed to do that? No, he ate. You see, the woman needed a leader, and when she needed the leader the most, what did he do? He didn't show up, right? Adam failed, and so that's an impression we see is, yes, we fault woman a lot. We fault Eve a lot for this instant, but Adam was right there, And he was supposed to lead her. And what did he do? He didn't. He let it happen. And then he also partook of the same thing. And so we notice that uh, the woman needs a leader. And if we're honest with ourselves today, ladies, we need our leaders to show up today, don't we? Right? And sometimes we look at society today and we say, oh, the problem is the men aren't being men anymore. The men aren't leading. Yes. Well, how do we fix that? We start being leaders. We start showing up. We start being there for our families. We start being in the church. We start trying to help in every single way. We don't say, hey, let's just wait for so-and-so to do this, or let's wait for sister so-and-so to do that. We say, let's let the men take care of everything, right? And then we make sure that we're there leading not only our spouses, men, but also the church, And we're making sure the church is following God's word and we're letting him guide and we're doing the leading in the church. You see, it wasn't that it was just Eve's fault. Adam was right there. He didn't show up when he needed to be the biggest leader he needed to be. And so we noticed that not only did man need a helper, but woman needed a leader. And again, we need to be those leaders today, men, and help uh, our families and help our communities and make sure we're being there for everybody and trying to lead. The next impression that we find is 
Satan comes in many forms, but has one purpose. Notice you have in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, that a serpent shows up, and it's more crafty than any other animal. Now, what you also notice about a serpent is that uh, not only was he had legs at this point, because if you notice down in Genesis chapter uh, 3, verse 14, the curse that God gave the serpent uh, was that he, uh, he said, Because you have done this, curse are to you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Right? Uh, at some point, the serpent had legs and was able to be off the ground. And so uh, it started out with legs. Maybe it was more of a dragon. I don't know. Right? We're not really given all of that information. But the serpent not only is a serpent, but we also see the devil portrayed as a lion. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, right? Satan is like a roaring lion going around seeking someone he may devour, right? And we also see that he is like a dragon in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, one of the best chapters in Revelation, uh, in my opinion, because it's all about the church and how uh, God is guarding the church as a whole. But what is Satan doing? He said, oh, I can't take down the woman, but I can take down her offspring. And so we have this dragon, the, uh, this depiction of Satan who's going around trying to pick off the Christians, the individual Christians, right? And, and then you notice what is the goal, the purpose of Satan in all these different forms? To take people away from God. It's not that Satan wants to create followers for him. He just wants to take followers away from God. Now, isn't that something to think about, right? He's not worried about gaining a following. He's just worried about ruining God's, right? And so that's when you see, you may see him in other forms, but he only has one purpose, is I want to take people away from God. And so we have to make sure as crafty as Satan may be, we need to make sure we're always focused on God and his word, right? We're focused on what he wants because Satan's out there in whatever form he may be, right? He may not be in the form of an animal. He may be in the form of a close friend. He may be in the form of a parent or a sibling. He may be in the form of a spouse. And we know he has one purpose, and that's to bring us away from God. So if you notice people in your life, relationships that you have in your life, where they're trying to keep you away from God, guess who they probably are working for, right? And so we need to make sure that we find those people in our lives and we make sure we limit ourselves with them. Because Satan will do anything and everything he can to take people away from God, to bring the offspring of the church out and bring them away from God. So we notice Satan comes in many forms, but has one purpose. And then we have number four. Another first impression we see here is that sin changes everything. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about concerning this impression is that sin makes you feel ashamed. If you notice in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, and in Genesis chapter 3, Verse 7, look at the end of Genesis chapter 2. After man and woman had been created, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. All right, so then we have what happens in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And look at verse 7. 
Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. Because they had done what God told them not to do, their eyes were opened. They became ashamed, right? And that's what sin can do, is cause us to feel ashamed, right? You commit a sin and you start feeling, oh, God, I didn't mean to do that. And sin just causes that in us, just like it did the first sin, right? Between Adam and Eve, they were naked and not ashamed, but all of a sudden they eat of the fruit they were not to eat from and their eyes were opened, right? And I, there is those moments where we do sin, and I hope we feel this, because if we don't, then there's something wrong with our hearts, but sin causes that feeling of being ashamed. Not only does it cause you to feel ashamed, but it causes you to feel guilty. Because now look in Genesis chapter 8 and the verses following, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Because they had committed this sin, because they are ashamed, now they feel guilt, right? And so now they hear the Lord walking through the garden, and they're like, uh-oh, we better play hide-and-seek, right? And they go off and hide because they have this guilty conscience, because they know they did what God told them not to, right? Parents, if we ever get home, and all of a sudden we can't find our kids, what has probably happened? Somebody did something they were not supposed to. And don't we do that sometimes concerning God? Right? Don't we fall into a sin? Maybe it's something we struggled with for a long time, and all of a sudden we fall into that sin again. We commit a sin, and all of a sudden it's like, "Uh uh-oh, I feel bad. Maybe God won't see me. Well, that's not a good way of thinking, because doesn't God see everything? Right? And that's what sin can cause in us, is to feel guilty is to have this guilty conscience, and we just want to hide, right? But we also have to be honest and repent and confess to God, hey, I messed up, because he's also there to help us. Then we also notice that sin hurts relationships, right? Notice the relationship between God and man, right? God kicks man and woman out of the garden, right? They no longer have this close relationship anymore. They no longer get to dwell in the garden together, be around each other. Rather, because men and women have become unholy, God can't be in their presence anymore because he is a holy God. But it also uh, hurt the relationship between man and woman because now the woman's going to have pain during childbirth and now the man is going to have to toil in the fields for the rest of his life and have hard work. You think that causes any resentment, right? And so we have this idea of sin hurting relationships, and not only does it hurt our relationship with God, we know in Isaiah chapter 59, Isaiah lets us know that when we sin, we separate ourselves from God, right? We pull ourselves apart from him. How sad is that? Not only for us, but for God, that his creation because of sin in this world, and because we commit sin, we separate ourselves from him. But it also hurts relationships that we have with people. Maybe we've committed a sin against them, right? And the relationship and how it got hurt because of that. 
See, sin changes a lot of different things, and it's not a good thing. And it can hurt relationships really bad, but it's also something that we need to be honest about. We don't need to hide the sin in our lives. We need to be honest about it, honest with God about it, and and let him know we're sorry for committing that sin. We need to let the people know in our lives that we've sinned against that, hey, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I ask for your forgiveness, and that's what repentance looks like, right? And so we need to make sure while sin does change everything, it's also the time where we need to make sure we're not trying to hide. We're not trying to feel ashamed, and we're not trying to uh, hurt people because of it. So how has sin changed your life? What is the impression? What is that first sin that you ever had? And that may be a hard question to ask. But what was that first time you failed? That first time you know you separated yourself from God? How did it affect your life? Did it hurt some people? Did it uh, affect relationships? Did it affect anything else? And are ready to make a change. Maybe you are a Christian this morning, but you have realized that there have been some sins in your life lately that have affected some relationships. Maybe that main relationship is between you and God. And this morning, you'd like to ask for prayers. You would like to say, I'm sorry, and you want to do it publicly. We would love for you to do that this morning. Uh, And all you would have to do is walk forward and, and Uh, We can pray with you and for you at that time. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've realized uh, you are separated from God. You have sin in your life and you've never had those sins washed away in baptism. Thankfully, Jesus makes that possible for us. That his blood, at the time of our baptism, we contact that blood of the new covenant, which washes away our sins. It's able to mend that relationship back with God and and help us to be in that right relationship. And moving forward, it's the idea of just confessing and letting him know that, hey, I'm sorry what I've done. I'm trying to work on it. I'm trying to be better. And God will cleanse us again and again. Uh, But there's some things that we do on our part, and baptism is one of those things where we have our sins washed away. If you're here this morning and you're ready to make a change, we'd love to invite you to come while we stand and sing the song of invitation.